0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. This is special for me because this is uh, number two. Number two with Womble and Ronak from Umbridge. I think, I think I pronounced it ombrage the you first did, time you did, came you on. Did, yeah. yeah. Uh, it sounded nice and French. <laughs> but you guys, have, I love doing these episodes. We're able to come back and just see in a short period of time how far a company has come. And so like what well, we had you talking about recently, you guys were, yeah. were acquired. And so we'll dive into that today. Uh, you talked about that at Energy Tech Night. And I love these kinds of stories in this space. That's what we need. We need a lot more of it. And I think you guys have done a lot of really, really cool work. And so, Ronak, it's it's good to have you here for the first time. So, also co-founder over at Umbridge, you were the CTO, right?
1: Uh, CDO, yes. Okay, CDO. CDO, yeah. What does the D stand for? Uh, chief Delivery Officer, Chief Digital Officer. Okay, uh, plays okay. multiple roles there. All right, so. all right. He
2: was chief chief of everything, whatever we needed to do. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: yeah, on especially on the delivery side, which encompassed a ton. Because I love it. That's where we put all the money that we ever brought in or made. We put it on the delivery side. So. Pretty much the whole company was coming up, he was responsible for in terms of making sure we were hitting what we needed to hit.
0: I dig it. So if you want to know the full story of Umbridge, go back and listen to our episode uh, that we did with these guys in early kind of 2021. You can just go on the website, search it, go on your podcast player, search it. But really quickly, high-level overview, what do you guys do? And then let's dive in, let's catch up, everything that's, that's, that's happened in the last
1: couple of years. Go for it, you want to do the overview? Yeah, so uh, Umbridge is a digital craft studio. So what, what that really means is that we're centered around a concept of crafts. Back in the day, you have craftsmen that were really focused on one thing. Um, and so they got really good at it. And so when we break our crafts down, we break it down between product management, design, engineering, and DevOps. Um, and so when we started this, we were like, Hey, a lot of digital products are being built across the enterprise. I think a lot of them are not overly scalable. And so anything that we wanted to do, if you hear about our hype video, if you hear anything that we talk about, we talk about scale all the time is because we're done with the MVP game. We want to build scalable first versions that we can build on and, and, and then enhance as we go. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to do that was with these four crafts, these four yeah. crafts deeply working together and, and learning how to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's you know the premise behind where, where we started Umbridge. is like, hey, let's build scalable first versions, but also let's take a focus on craft I don't want a developer coming in trying to be a managing director. I want a developer coming in who wants to write the best code in the world. Um, mm. And so that we, we centered around that from a delivery perspective.
0: What's the sweet spot of like kinds of
2: projects you guys like to work on? It's evolved. I mean, yeah. when we were here yeah. in 2021, uh, as you dubbed it, the coming out party, you know, there was, I don't know, 30-something people, uh, you know, starting out with six. Mm-hmm. Those six people are still here today, which is awesome. a real proud thing um really really proud um and we we did you know digital craft studio digital product studio we've evolved as well on from a storytelling and introductions we're more of a venture studio because the sweet spot of what we're doing goes back to kind of days of you know really one of the first ones we did was eliox um but but even more so cold war too we're building a, the companies while we're building the products. Because a lot of times in what we're seeing in the enterprise, especially in the fintech space, consortium-backed startups, mm-hmm. they're all, you know, half the market come together, massive Fortune 100 companies. Let's put some money in. Let's form especially a company. Especially yeah. And then let's go solve that. We got mm-hmm. natural market buy-in. And so what's happening, they go and hire, understandably so, a handful of C-suite folks. That But they still just have a whiteboard idea that they need to get a product. Well, the company needs to be built just as much as the product. We're not investing, obviously, the capital into something. But I'm like, we're a venture studio. We are building the company while building the product. That's been pretty cool to see because uh, we don't have IP. We got people. We got process. We got methodology. And it's really cool to see, mm-hmm. especially like at Colbor, who we've been out of that project for a couple of years now, but Brett and team still run the same methodology that we helped implement early in 2020, 2021 timeframe uh, being used today. You can't see code that, that uh, is replicable or, or sellable from that, but it's really cool to see that a lot of the things you put in the process and put into place still being utilized today. So Venture Studio is how I always introduce us now.
0: So do you feel like you guys have kind of moved more upstream of maybe, maybe you still do some startup work. I don't know. You guys let me know. But maybe is it more working with some of the corporates to, to create more innovative products
2: at scale? Is that, is that accurate or no? Um, I mean, we're still building products at scale, and still doing it in um, both the enterprise and, and the startup game. Okay. Where we've pivoted, it, not really, it's not even pivoted, we're, where things have kind of evolved. You know, we were a company, a, a, a young yeah. entity. We <laughs> were going young, where we could go to evolve 10 survive. times a year usually, right? So yeah. like, it's, it happens. But we're playing around in the blockchain Web3 space, yeah. fintech, and like there's not, a lot, there's not a lot out there. So whatever yeah. we're doing, we're kind of carving a, a new path. But there's a ton of enterprise, and there's a ton of startups trying to figure
1: out what, what is this thing. But I think um, naturally, like we started with a lot of en- uh, startup-level work. We are moving to more towards the enterprise, but when you look at the enterprise, it's actually – still quote-unquote startup-level work just because the enterprises are now bounding together to solve big business problems. And particularly when you think about Web3, it's everyone has to kind of be on the platform for it to work. So you're seeing like in the in, in New York, you're seeing a lot of the big banks bound together to do like tokenization platforms, to do bond platforms, syndicated loan platforms. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting plugged in with all those. And it's ironic that you see a Houston-based startup here that did a digital product studio working with all the big banks in New York. And mm-hmm. what you see there is that like, not many people understand the Web3 space today. And yeah. I think Will says it well. It's not Web2 to Web3. It's like Web 2.5 is what he calls it. And in that world, there's a lot of architectural work that has to be done. And there's not a lot of studios out there that know how to build this. Mm-hmm. I proudly say that I think we're the, one of the largest Web3 studios in the country, mainly because we know how to build these large platforms on distributed ledger, but still tying back to this Web2 world. Yeah. So you juxtapose that with, I know Brandon Brown, CTO for
2: Vital, formerly known Laredo. You know, he comes in here a lot because he's done some, some podcasts in this room. Vital's a huge client of ours. Um, and we're still field data capture, dynamic routing. You know, it's not basic, but data driven from the field. There's not a Web3 componentry there, but it's still really sexy work to us to go out and, and do that. So you've got both ends of the spectrum from some cutting edge emerging technology, but you still got folks that are trying to lead with digital. Cause I'd say vital really is doing yeah. a great job leading with digital coming from the well, uh, to figure out how to efficient size its own workforce in order to be that much more optimized when it comes to, uh, production. So, it, you know, we, we will not forget the roots of where we are cause it's still our bread and butter. Our model for being in Houston, leveraging the network that we've, been fortunate enough to have from our past um, and help the folks that need help in and around the energy and natural resources space that is still a mm-hmm. big big mantra it's just the web 3 kind of came out of nowhere yeah and uh, really just in in the latter or first part of 2022 and for the rest of the year and that wasn't even the reason why quite frankly Bain made the acquisition they didn't even know how much web3 space they were more interested because of no. the energy and natural resources
0: so I know we talked about this last time we were here but just to just I think it's an important point to hit on again uh to the naysayers who are like oh you guys are just like a product development shop talk to me about the secret sauce and we've talked about this at length Mm -hmm. to talk to the to the audience about the secret sauce that really sets you guys apart and then let's dive into the acquisition
2: well so you they've heard it from me and and I love it because you know Ronak and I building the company we're always the ones in the room and you know, I would play quarterback for for a lot of it. He'd correct whatever it was that you know made made mistakes. So it's awesome to hear from from his per perspective because the phrase you use on the first podcast, "Don't call him a a dev shop," and I love that you yeah. call that. Uh, but yeah, tell him tell him the uh, the sweet spot slash special
1: sauce. Yeah, I think it goes back to like at the at the core of what we do is at product. We're not like when you look at ourselves, we don't look at ourselves as designers or product managers or engineers. In fact, we call ourselves product managers, product designers, product engineers, because at the core, we have to all think through this product. If you look at the, like the evolutionary like of building products, it was like it used to be these technical guys in a garage who built something really cool and they tried to sell it to the market and they realized no one's going to buy this because it's all technical jargon. It was all very, very robust. And then the world overcorrected and went to this place of let me build design thinking everywhere. So that you see everybody hosting design thinking workshops and putting all these sticky notes everywhere and thinking that's building products. product. And really at the heart of it, we, it's a happy medium between the two are, when you do projects with Umbridge, it's not just a product manager and designer that's working to you, you'll see an engineer sitting there all the way through the discovery process It's because if he can deeply or she can deeply understand what's going on from a technical perspective, from a product strategy perspective, well, now they're going to be able to architect the platform way better. And yeah. a lot of times what we see is just at the core is that they, these three teams didn't work well together. They're not knowing, they, like the product manager doesn't know what to use the designer for. A designer knows no idea how to interact with an engineer and they're all working in silos. And that's usually what's breaking down a product. And you know, one of the early projects that we had, the CTO came to me and was like, hey, I, I think I should fire my entire engineering oh, team. Right. And I was like, well, let's, let's take a step back here. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. And I've told them, I was like, hey, if you fire your entire engineering team, we'll hire every single one of them. Uh, So I actually think that it's less about how good you think your engineers are and more about how the process and the methods that you run to build digital products. And when they got down to it, at the end of our project, they were running no different than Umbridge. Mm -hmm. And what they realized was that, hey, it it is starting with product management, design, engineering, all having a vision, all working together, all creating the strategy. Once they have that strategy intact, then they can go do what they went to school for. They don't necessarily need to all work together, all hand in hand. But up front, a lot of people break down right there.
0: Mm So let's talk about the acquisition. That's the big news. First off, congratulations to you guys because hats off. It's amazing. You guys have built something so awesome, so special. And you didn't record time too. And then to sell to just such a uh, prestigious organization like Bain, I mean, that's it's not an easy thing to do. And so let's talk about like, how did that come to be? Did you guys work together over time? And what does it look like now? What has changed? And then I'm curious, like, what does the future look like for you
2: guys? So what's, what's funny about it is I met Ronak first <laughs> during the last acquisition that I went through. And it was at Accenture. And he was part of the digital hub that was wanting to do something a little different back in 2015, 2016, where you saw this kind of movement happening. You know, there was a lot of lessons learned during that. I'll call it integration that we were not shy about sharing on both sides. Ronak is always quick to point out, Hey, it wasn't like when you guys, the acquiring or acquiree coming in, was not, there were some mistakes there too, much as there were on, you know, the one uh, acquiring. And so we shared that throughout. Uh, I always use really bad analogies and I've done it before I did it at uh tech night. We took our time with Umbridge, you know, We were a crockpot, not a microwave. And I think that was a really important process to follow. And we took the same approach when we got introduced to Bain. We were introduced to them in late January, February of 2022. We didn't sign an LOI till October. Um, Was it it, it them contracting you guys to do work? Or
0: was it, hey, maybe we can leverage you guys to do some work with our clients? Like, what was that?
2: It was introduction through a board member uh, that had done some work. And it was just a, hey... Meet, meet these guys and they, we met pretty high up uh, initially, just a general conversation.
1: Tell us about Umbridge. And we remember the day we left that meeting and we both looked at each other like that went really well. (laughs) We have no idea what it was about, but it went really well. And I think they quickly saw our capabilities. If you look in the market today, like their competitors have digital capabilities. Yeah. And maybe Bain today has some digital capabilities, but not as maybe up to the McKinsey's and BCG's which they see themselves against. Um, And so I think, you know, they quickly saw that, hey, this could be an avenue for us to build that capability. But originally, I think it just started with just hey, how do we partner with these guys? It wasn't so much acquisition. It was, it was like a partnership that that they, that kind of fostered into an acquisition. Company. So
0: traditionally with Bain, is their bread and butter, is it strategy in the same way that it is McKinsey, or are they trying to be more of like the the tech consulting group like Accenture is?
2: The former. I mean, the former? Okay, yeah, so they're they, definitely they, they are McKinsey. competing. You know, it's always the top three okay. from a strategy firm, Bain, McKinsey, BCG. You okay. know, inter, intermix where, where you are. But they're at that stratosphere when it comes to who you go to for true strategy. The interesting thing that I didn't know until getting, uh, maybe should have, it's definitely public knowledge, you know, a very hefty portion of work that Bain does is on the private equity side. They have didn't know that. Big, big relationships for bu- business building. Business building is a huge component for Bain in working with private equity groups and the portfolios uh, of those PE firms. And so that, that is a big, big deal. And that's, again, going back to kind of how we've pivoted and uh, evolved the pitching from a venture studio, building companies and building product. That's not how we got introduced to Bain, but they definitely definitely resonated with them throughout the courtship uh, and the relationship and the mic, I mean, the crockpot that we were all sitting in from a relational standpoint. They deeply care about relationships they're very focused on their brand. They do not want it diluted because of a project. They'll turn projects away. And they're very loyal, loyal to employees, yeah. loyal to clients. All of those very much tracked what we were trying to do uh, at Umbridge from a cultural standpoint.
0: So what made it this courtship? What did that, I mean, it, pretty much a year, right, of that? And so, like, what kind of stuff did you guys do
1: together? Well, we didn't really do any projects together. But I think yeah. what we quickly realized was that, like... Bain does a lot of this, like you said, strategy level work. And a lot of times out of those strategies, I mean, nine out of 10 times today, a strategy that comes to solve some sort of business problems ties to a digital product. Mm. And I think what they were seeing was that every single time they would would build this tremendous strategy. And then, you know, these are shorter engagements, maybe uh, six month engagements, and then they would hand it off to a big SI partner to come deliver, right? And so... I think what they quickly saw was, hey, if we are doing all these strategies, we're building all these great business uh, case studies around how to grow these businesses. And a lot of times it is a recommendation to build a digital product. It'd make perfect sense to have an umbrage there that says, oh, hey, well, hey, this is our digital product that partner that can come in and help build those products out and make not only the decks that they put together that are really, really you know, valuable, but actually take those decks and bring them to life. Yeah, we get to know the you know, higher level
2: Board folks from Bain, the global leaders, the Americas leaders, and just got to know them. And I always say education is our biggest competitor. And educated on on who Umbridge is and what is it that we do. The interesting thing that happened, that's awesome. Lo- we love this. Didn't expect it. Throughout throughout that long um, get to know you period, we were meeting with them on a regular basis and a fun bu- to the point where we like. Where, are we, where is this headed? Because uh, it was taking up a lot of our bandwidth. While yeah. we're still trying to, you know, we, we went from 35 employees at the end of 2021 to the end of 2022, which most of which was getting to know Bain as well, with 80 plus folks. So we were hyper scaling mm-hmm. at, the, at the same time. The, what, I, what we really appreciate too, and Bain getting to know us just as much as the other, originally the plan was going to be to fully integrate. Roll in to, there's another division inside there that, that um, sponsored the acquisition. And the, like, that's where we'll go. But it was um, our sponsor on the global level and then the America's lead said, hey, we don't want to mess this up. And that was a, a concern. Kudos to them for recognizing it. They have something internal called a BSL, Branded Service Lines. And that's what Umbridge is. So we are a separate entity. We're wholly owned by Bain. But we're a branded service line. Our LLC isn't still intact. We still use it for contracting purposes. They um, didn't want to mess with the special sauce process methodology by trying to integrate too quickly. They just said, you know what? We'll we'll look at that later. How do we take and build upon what you guys kind of got rolling to the point where Mm. they've deployed an entire team to Umbridge? as if we're a client trying to help scale much like they do in the, the private equity world. So it's not just an acquisition from an upfront perspective. They've definitely followed through and like, how do we take this and and go global? Cause that is their goal.
0: So we've had uh, over the years we had a few acquisition offers. None of them ever like materialize. And it's like a, it's an interesting, like, I don't know. It's an interesting feeling, or I guess like it's, it's kind of like a whirlwind of feelings, right? There's like this excitement, but there's also like, what does it look like? It's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Like, We've got my baby here. What does my baby look like if I'm with you guys? Like, and also, I mean, Rona, maybe you were a part of. I don't. I can't remember if y'all worked together on the previous company, but you also sold your other company to Accenture. That's where we first met. He was at Accenture. So we see both sides of it, right? Yeah. So that's so that's really interesting because like I'm just trying to like get inside your head because this is such a great success story of like what is like kind of like this playbook or what are things that you you've realized to to. Put yourself in this position first off but then like to make the right decision with you know hey your baby is now like with bain like i would love to hear both of y'all's thoughts on like maybe things you were worried about or things you were excited about or any of that that kind of just like sticks out to you
1: well i i saw accenture make massive amount of acquisitions throughout my yeah. seven mm-hmm. years there i mean i saw chaotic come through our um our cto ahmed we saw um his firm get acquired at intrepid and so you know, what you see a lot of is that yeah, their capabilities when they came in weren't really matched. Their hierarchy, our org structure at Accenture was not matched to what they were really good at. And, the, and that broke down. And so one of the big things that we were really conscious of was like, hey, we have an org structure that works for us. We're not, everyone's trying to become, like I said, a partner. It, they they want to be craft-based. They want to stick to that stuff. They want to continue learning and delivering projects. They don't want to just become this random salesperson that's going and trying to sell work. And sometimes in the consulting model, that, that's kind of what gets pushed. So we spent a lot of time talking about org structure, what made, what worked for us. And we really pushed that pretty heavily. A lot of what we use from an example standpoint was like, and I think I said this a dozen times throughout the acquisition process, was like Microsoft and LinkedIn. I think that was the, one of the best acquisitions that, that's, that Microsoft has done. And if you look at Microsoft across all their acquisitions, they try to fold them all in. And they, all oh, Nokia, you have Skype, you have yeah. a bunch of failed acquisitions. But then you see LinkedIn, what worked there? In fact, what they did with LinkedIn, they were just like, stay a separate company. Hmm. You guys are on your own. Keep your own hierarchy. Keep your own laptops. Keep your own emails. But just use our buying power. Use, mm-hmm. use what we have here that can make you guys more successful. If you see LinkedIn as of late has just gone nuts and become very, very successful. I actually think the first year, I think I'm correct on this, but the first year they were actually running on AWS's servers too. Even right. though they, Microsoft Azure had Azure, they didn't force them to switch over. And so that level of, of partnership is really where great acquisitions happen, and we use that case study to inform Bain on. And I think that's what's driving today is like, hey, Bain stays as Bain, Umbridge stays in Umbridge. but we get access to all of their clients, all of their all of their partnerships like OpenAI and et cetera, and that is only going to make us better and grow faster. Yeah. Think, so this so on the on, on the people side too. Uh,
2: we said from the very beginning we're going to look at this. Maybe it was a bold statement um through one event we're going to look at this from our perspective of what are we going to stand up and say on the day if this thing goes through where everyone's at the studio what what is the reason what is the answer to the question why is this good for Umbridge? and why is this good for the individuals inside Umbridge? and we said hey if we can answer that question and we have it legit we're not having to make anything up then we'll know we we orchestrated this correct so we and going back to loyalty and brand that very much wasn't just a line from us that that was what was really important because all we have is the people uh but i know that very much resonated with folks in bain to where they're like this is even more a good thing than than we thought of because we referenced that when we stood up the day of the announcement and said remember what we said we're going to do now it's time to tell people why it's good for Umbridge, why it's good for for them. Um, and so you had both the business aspect of it, but also the culture aspect of it that that lined up pretty good.
0: So now we have a little bit of a tight squeeze, a little bit of a hard stop today. So what does the future for Umbridge look
1: like? Go. I mean, in particularly for us, I think it's, it, you know, we we play, we are 50 folks in Houston and the other 50 folks probably sitting across the country. We have a large presence in Monterey, Mexico with the nearshore. So we have like, when we think when we got acquired, we were nine folks there. We're 22 folks today. Wow! Uh, so we think Monterey is going to be a gr- big growth center for us. And what we, we don't like to do is we don't like to call it a nearshore center. We like to call it just another studio for us. Hmm. It's because I don't want to belittle them in any way. I think the folks coming out of Monterey, Mexico are very talented. In fact, they can code it just as fast and good as our onshore developers. And so our growth is going to be in these different regions today. We, we're going to service most of the U.S., but we have growth opportunity that's coming from Brazil already in Sao Paulo. We have a lot of coming out of the Middle East and, in, and quite a bit coming out of EMEA within London. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if you see a studio in these different markets and uh, us having a more global footprint.
0: I guess somebody asked the same question, rephrased in a different way. What is the North Star now? Obviously, you can continue growing. Everybody wants to grow. You want to grow your business. You want to grow revenue. You want to grow employees. You want to grow your impact. What is your North Star? It's
2: a bold statement. Um, My goal is to get Bain to be a digital product studio that does strategy.
0: That's what I love. I I love bold statements. Not a a consultancy
2: that's digital. Uh, and, And to lead differently. To lead with the product lens and bring strategy across. Uh, or let me refer it, to pierce new entities with the product, you know, tip of the spear, and then bring strategy across. The other way has been done a lot, and and we we said that during the courtship. That's our that's, it's what we'd love to see you guys do. Uh, we'll see how well we're to implement that. Uh, but so far, so good. Rolling rolling along. But but I would love, well, love to see this thing go outside the United States and to really take this and see if we can't quote unquote, go global.
1: Well, when we, when we put out our mission statement that said we're gonna build the most valuable mm-hmm. products in the world, half our studio kind of chuckled at us. They're like, the world how's little Umbridge here in Houston gonna impact the world. And that's how we made the announcement for Bain. And we do think that now we have the ability to build the most valuable products in the world. There's a lot of studios out here building products every single day. We wanna build the most impactful products. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, the only way we do that is by having the right strategy. So this partnership here makes a lot of sense to us.
0: Oh, absolutely. So for those listening, obviously, in oil and gas, who are the kinds of companies that you guys want to work with? What kind of projects do you want to take on? Obviously, you want to go, you want to go global. So it'd be great to get, you know, Saudi Aramco or, or somebody <laughs> like that on board and create something super innovative. Who else should reach out to you guys?
2: So what's interesting is for the first time in, in my digital kind of career slash uh, lifespan, we're touching all... Uh, sectors of oil and gas, upstream, mid, and that's down. awesome. And so, being able to stay up uh, you know, going back to the Cold War days of digital frac, working with Vital, um, and and playing around and around the the E side, but now with the work that we did with Eliox and some other uh, entities, the midstream in the trading space has a real big, big.
0: Uh, that's actually a huge advantage by you guys actually kind of working across. Upstream, mainstream, Well, yeah, this guy, now? this guy's
2: one of the be- foremost experts on uh, reta- fuels retail downstream because uh, mm-hmm. he worked a lot at Shell, and we've got several folks that did. And so one of the big projects that we're doing and in, 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 uh, working with Bain on in Mexico is with 7-Eleven and their um, in-store pickup, their loyalty program, a lot of which we did in the past uh, for Shell and the downstream. So to be able to touch on all those and have use cases on all of those, really opens up the the spectrum inside, as Bain calls it, ENR, Energy and Natural Resources, an area they did not yet have a digital capability to go in. they also understood, as you well know, the technical mm. aspect of the space. It That was a very uh, appealing aspect of Umbridge to them, to know we got the technical chops from a digitization standpoint. We also know we can walk in and not going to fall all over ourselves when you know we're talking about wireline, frack, or any other technical oil and gas
1: term, because we're not
2: foremost experts on that, but we're very knowledgeable and comfortable talking about it in the room.
1: You also have like these energy clients. A lot of them try to do these like digital transformation initiatives where Mm -hmm. they like, they they go hire one of these big SI providers and they give them 10, $20 million and say, hey, revolutionize my upstream business. And I think that for the longest time, it was just a bunch of management consulting folks going in trying to figure out what's going on, building siloed applications and then building another siloed application. You do that for a year and then they realize, Hey, we're not getting the value. And then they ax that contract. And I think that the perfect partnership with Bain strategy and Umbridge, Bain figuring out how to really revolutionize upstream from a business case standpoint that has has great KPIs behind Mm -hmm. it and then Umbridge actually being able to deliver and build those, you know, my goal in the energy space is to take some of these big digital transformation work, because I think everybody does it the same way. And, and there's a unique offering that we could bring to the table that's completely different for, for, for at least this industry. Well said. I
0: love it. Guys, I wish, we, I wish we had more time because I just love talking with you guys. I love hanging out. I love seeing the products that you guys have built. It's absolutely beautiful stuff. And I'm just so excited for all of the success. And I can't wait to do this again in the future and just hear how far you guys have
2: come. Yeah, uh, so I'll, uh, I'll end. Thank you with how we end, uh, began the first one. What you guys are doing for Houston. you guys are doing for tech yes. the entrepreneurs out there, you've seen the growth and the impact. And and it's not just in Houston anymore. I'll say thank you for that. Thank you for the platform. Thank you for the opportunity. But just for putting a big spotlight on Houston. And it's really, really, two guys that grew up, born and raised in Houston. Appreciate that. It's pretty cool to see the impact and the opportunities Digital Wildcatters are giving to a lot of really cool entrepreneurs. So thank you. Thank you, you, man. I really appreciate that. Absolutely.
0: If you guys liked the episode, take two seconds, share it with your friends, all your colleagues, leave us a rating review, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode.